Hi, I'm James. And I'm Cairo. And we're bringing you Who Cares Wins. This is the podcast all about caring for somebody you love. Sharing your stories about some of the amazing work that carers do out there, but also not shying away from some of the darker things. And trying to do it with a bit of a smile on our face, because I think sometimes, James, we just have to laugh. And please do subscribe, click that little button, and if you enjoy our conversations, please do rate them as well, because it really helps us to share some of these stories with people across the country who are often feeling extremely isolated. Hello everyone, and welcome to our latest episode. It is our latest episode. How many have we done now? Well, I was saying latest because I don't know how many we've done so far. I was going to look this up before we started. Uh, I reckon it's either six or seven. Yeah, I think it's about there. So we're building up some speed. Basically, basically, if you just check your podcasting thing now, it will tell you which episode. You don't need to know which episode it yeah. is. Let's move on. <laughs> Indeed. But we had some really exciting news. We, had a, we got an email this week from a very exciting person for me personally. So the big man himself. Not, no, not God. That would, <laughs> no, be, that would no, no. be amazing. I don't know if he would use email. I feel like it would be something more dramatic. Like, at least a, a call. Yeah. Um, no, Louis Theroux himself, the big uh, documentary maker, he got in touch to say that he thought what this community has brought together is moving and powerful. Moving and powerful. Yeah. So if you're ever feeling like you're sitting alone listening to our podcast, just remember that there's a fair chance that Louis Theroux is listening with you. At the same time. Yeah, it's I a mean, good that, thought. That's, that's a nice thing to be at, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what else has been going on? So we've just got our new Facebook group is up, so please everyone go to Facebook. I'm hoping most people are on Facebook. And search for Who Cares Wins. We're definitely going to try to post some really interesting content on there and start you know, really try to start conversations that can be beneficial for anyone who, who's interested or is a, is a carer. And I think what's quite exciting about that is that the Facebook group enables us to make it a two-way conversation. So whenever you're contributing to it, not only are you helping us build kind of uh, the product in Mobilize, but you're also actually helping other people who might be having a tough time as a carer as well. I think that's a really important principle. And and I'm sick of talking to you, James. So (laughs) anyone else, please, someone engage with us so I don't just have to speak to James. Our days were brightened the other day by Kate, who came into the office to speak to us. Yes, Kate Kyra. So Kate is a, a good friend of mine. We met when we used to work together at Marie Curie. Recently, I think within the last couple of years, she's been a carer for her mum. Well, it sounds it sounds like she's just the sort of person we want to be hearing from. Had you like spoken about this kind of thing before? Because you're both carers, you both care for your mum, or was this new to you? So although she's a really good friend, we hadn't actually spent that much time talking about being carers for her mum. And actually, both of our our mums had suffered with similar conditions. So for me, it was lovely having a chance to actually talk to her about her caring responsibilities and the impact that had. And, and actually, there were lots of similarities. And we did go on. It was, a, it was a very long interview. So with that in mind, we should probably keep this quite short and, um, yeah. and get on to the interview. Let's roll the tape. So I currently work in policy. I work in the international development space. Um, I've been working in London for six years. Um, so I'm originally from South Yorkshire. Yeah. So I've been struggling to lose the northern twang. So yes, we are here to talk a little bit about being a carer. You are a carer? That is a really good point, because when you just asked me that question, even though I've come here to do this podcast and I know exactly what we're talking about, it's still quite a jarring thing to hear. I suppose, yes, I would call myself a carer in terms of trying to look after myself and acknowledge that that's another role that I'm taking on. Um, so I, I care for my mum 
um, who three years ago, I think it was three years ago, it might not be quite that long, in which case my family will hear this and be like, <laughs> you have no grasp of reality. Um, my mum got diagnosed with a bleed on the brain um, and had a stroke and ended up in, in hospital, which was incredibly scary. Um, but recovered really well physically from the effects of that stroke, um, but unfortunately was left with a lot of mental health issues about the fact that, you know, questions about facing your own mortality, all those big issues about being left in hospital, not know what was going on. It was a huge destabilising incident for us all. And so for the last two years, we have been dealing with um, crisis points and and some normality and trying to get used to what that means for us as a, as a family. Um, we had, unfortunately, we hit a really serious crisis point last November. Um, and since then, she's been making really good improvements. And part of that is also around me understanding the changing nature of what it means to support somebody with a, a mental health issue. Mm -hmm. So it's been a big period of learning. Um, lots more mm. still to learn. Learning is such a positive way of framing yeah. such difficult times. <laughs> yeah, it's also been the worst, I would say the worst thing that's ever happened to me, which is really selfish. <laughs> uh, worst thing that's ever happened to me, given that I've also had mental health issues, and I would put this above the pain of that because mm. there's also a complete lack of control mm. over caring for somebody and especially that knowledge of knowing what they're going through because you've been through it yourself, but not actually being able to help them in any way. So that's, that's been a really hard part of it. It continues to be the hardest part of drawing lines, creating boundaries of where can I help, where can I not help, how much am I willing to give up and sacrifice of myself. And the same for the rest of my family, actually. I'm very, very lucky that I have two older siblings who we've all kind of tried to do this together. And I would say the one positive is that we are a lot closer mm. than we were before this happened. Brought the family together. Yeah. Unfortunately, it does always, times of crisis, times of like huge sadness and stress will bring people together more than really happy things because you don't realise how much you need other people's help mm. until something like this happens and you're like, actually, I can't, can't do this bit on my own. Mm. And you said when it all first began the bleeding mm. the brain and the stroke that was quite scary can you just talk a little bit a little bit more about that yeah sure so it's kind of a very different fear that I remember feeling so I just got back off holiday um, I'd just been on our first um, holiday abroad with my my boyfriend who's still my boyfriend thankfully so hasn't hasn't <laughs> run a mile throughout this process um, but we just got back we just landed <clears throat> having a really nice lazy day it was Easter Sunday which for anyone who's ever had anything bad happen to them on like a, a specific day that people celebrate, always means that that day is then forever ruined. <laughs> so that's great. So like, here's the Easter egg. Oh, do you remember that awful thing that happened to you? Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm sure you can still eat chocolate though. I mean, it's I've I've wrote it out. Yeah. And I've committed. I'm very and I'm proud getting of you. over that. I'm hurdle. so proud of you. That's great. <laughs> um, See, so yeah, I remember getting back and I turned my phone off, which I now never do. Mm. Um, for fear that the same thing will happen again and um, when I turned it back on I had sort of seven missed calls I had Facebook messages and I was like oh some something's happened and I guess I had an instinct that it might be my mum and I can't tell you where that came from uh, so I went to take the call and I, I called my uncle back which was a weird sort of thing in that 
I didn't get anybody that I immediately needed to speak to. So the, the panic was just increasing. Um, and he just <clears throat> sort of said to me, your mum's in hospital. Um, she's got a bleed on the brain. There was no sort of, uh, where are you? Are you on your own <laughs> way mm. of... Sit down. Yeah, yeah, handling that information. And then obviously the thing hits you of, you, you know, you hear the two words like bleed, brain, you never want to hear in the same sentence. Uh, and then you, my immediate thought is, okay, well, I'm four hours away. And so it's like, right, if she dies, how quickly can I get there? Mm. Um, and then I really went into a kind of, a real sort of project management mode of, <laughs> like you, you know, Matt needs to check the trains, I need to pack, I need to remain very calm. Mm. Because I knew that the, the weight of that was not lost on me, like the weight of this is a really big thing, this could... Uh, that well, While I was travelling, they were making a decision on whether she needed to have surgery, brain surgery. Mm. So that was awful. It's been incredibly hard because it's really hard to describe to somebody what it feels like to have somebody that you love really, really helpless and you also not know how to help them. And to be scrabbling around for different ways to do that and not really getting anywhere is is so, so hard. And I think that's why being a carer is a different it's a different level of hard because there's no control. There's the control you can try and take, which is I know when you take your tablets, I can sit in on GP appointments with you, I can do those things, but I, I can't get you better. And that's really, really difficult. I think the guilt is incredibly hard. There is not one day that I don't think about my mum or how she's feeling or what's going on. I remember when it was really bad, um, kind of realising, you know, I, I got I, I got professional help, I paid for professional help because I didn't want to go on a waiting list um, and I knew that it was really important that I looked after myself because I could feel myself getting closer and closer to kind of breaking point myself. Um, and the irony of that is then thinking, oh God, I can't be ill because then what will happen? And this kind of pressure <laughs> to stay well. Mm. Um, and I remember just finally voicing that for almost a year, I had spent every day wondering if my mum would be alive at the end of it. Mm. So that, when you kind of voice that, you realise the level of anxiety and stress that you're living with. But because we have this big thing around, we don't talk about mental health issues, we don't talk about being carers, we certainly don't talk about the two together, I couldn't really communicate that. When people are like, how are you? I'm like, no, I'm great today, but also just living with the fact that my mum might die. How are you? <laughs> you know, it's kind of a, don't, don't talk about it. Mm. So the first step was kind of admitting that that's where I was. That's the kind of stuff that was going through my head, which is just really rubbish anyway. You know, it's really, really rubbish to think that a person that you're looking after and spending so much time with then might not be here through an illness which is preventable and you're doing everything you can, but there's just such a high level of uncertainty. And so that's when the guilt really comes in. The guilt of, oh, you know, it's midday and I haven't texted her or it's midday and I haven't called her or... You know, I would call her six days out of seven in a week, but the only one I'll remember is the day that I didn't call mm. her. That, and that's pressure. And that's not to say you don't have a really strong group of friends around you. And I think what we see in so many 
um, caring situations is people feel a little reluctance to be able to speak because it can be both quite personal but also sometimes that the friends are a way of escaping the kind of realities of it. You know, one thing that I thought was really interesting is around around the same time that my mum was was really ill and I get we, we'd had about three or four crisis points until we got to like the real crisis point and um, they were just dry runs apparently um was that I had a friend who was who had lost a parent um during that during that period and I just felt so guilty of ever wanting to talk about what was happening with me because I thought well what you're going through is far far worse mm. and again you know Matt has been fantastic because instead of being like yeah you're right you know she's going through worst all the things that I was thinking to myself of you know at least she's still here you know you can still talk to her she she can get better you know he sort of said to me well yes but you're also dealing with huge levels of uncertainty you have been caring for your mum there's a lot of other stuff going on here like don't be so hard on yourself mm. and until somebody had said that to me it hadn't occurred to me that that was the way that I could think about it you mentioned that the word carer is a bit of a jarring word. Mm-hmm. Talk a little bit about your relationship with the word carer. I think my issue with it is that it, it feels for me quite disrespectful to my mum. That That's my issue with it. So me and my mum are very similar in that we don't like people to make a fuss and we don't really like being taken care of. We're quite independent. And so I know that that... that thinking about how she would interpret that word I think that's my that's why I'm kind of I don't like using it Mm. but then I think about okay so I have to put some label on what's been happening because otherwise I won't give myself I won't acknowledge it that I've been doing this extra load and I've been dealing with all this stuff so I think that I I the word comes out and I get the word out but it's not comfortable it doesn't roll off my tongue and I think because I'm very conscious that when you're a carer of somebody, that somebody is just as important, and it's how they think of you. And mm. particularly around like mental illness, you're encouraging independence, you're encouraging all these things. So then hearing that you've got a carer is very, you know, it doesn't doesn't always sit with that. Mm. Um, and also because like it's, you know, it's not cool. <laughs> it's not. And it's you not do what like people to be cool. do. I mean. Obviously, um, you know it's not. It's one of those subject topics where it's reserved for a certain group in society. I think mm. we we pick out who, what we think a carer looks like and who we think they are. There's a there feels like a right time and a wrong time for me to to bring that out, and that's one of the things that I'm trying to figure out is how do I be interested in all the other things I want to do, and also carry with me the fact that this is a huge part of my identity because it's a huge part of my priorities in my life. And you're, you're never meant to ask a woman her age. No. Um, but I'm going to. Oh, okay, that's fine. So I am 27, 27. Ju- just turned 27. So this would have all started happening when you were about 24, yeah. 24, 25. Just, just after my 24th birthday. So how was your experience in being younger and then supporting someone? Really difficult, I would say. Because at the exact time that I was trying to make a push professionally and, you know, settling into a long-term relationship and moving and 
and really doing the stuff you do in your 20s, which is having your stamp on the world, was this time when my attentions were completely mm. switched to, to another issue. And there's just the fear that I felt that, this kind of selfish fear that I wouldn't get to do what I wanted to do. And I found that really hard to admit that I felt like this this shouldn't happen to me, which is going to make me sound like a horrible person. Mm. But I think there is this sense of, you know, I had all these things going for me and I've worked really hard and, you know, I've built, built this life and here's this thing that I didn't expect to have to consider. And does that mean now that that work isn't going to happen, that I'm not going to get to where I thought I was going to be? So that was really, really difficult. And I you know, whether rightly or wrongly the right approach, tried to just then keep doing all that stuff mm. and keep caring without acknowledging that actually there had to be a little bit of give. I just wanted I wanted to stay in that way of, like, in my 20s, doing everything, being everywhere, tr- trying to do everything all at once. You can conquer the world. It's that yeah. sense of feeling. because you're told that. You're told that. And you're told mm. that actually any caring responsibilities you might have will be children. You know, you, you start to get geared up to this idea that that's what caring looks like in your 20s and 30s, is that it's of children, not somebody caring for a spouse or a parent. And I remember Googling, one particularly late night, kind of Googling caring in your 20s, and the first three pages of results were about skincare routines. <laughs> and I was like, right... So not I'm quite what you're looking for. A, yeah, I'm You've got a, great skin, so you don't need yeah, that, obviously. Thank you. <laughs> uh, getting a really clear message here that this is not something I should be worried about. We used to work together, and I know you are incredible at your job. And can you talk a little bit about your experience of trying to manage the, the both of those together? Sure. So during the course of caring for my mum, I've had three separate jobs. I think that's probably maybe a good example of how difficult it is and I've moved around quite quite often in the last few years you're in the position where in your 20s and 30s this is the time that you go out and do the stuff you're meant to do and that's what everybody tells you and that's how workplaces play out is that the opportunities are given to you at that age you you're putting yourself forward for everything so balance that with something that's also taking up a lot of your time and energy is really difficult also the practicalities of caring most health systems operate a nine to five. Most offices operate a nine to five. So that's already a massive conflict that you've got in how are you going to do both. Um, most offices, most most work is office based, and my family lives four hours away. So that's another issue that I faced, um, because a lot of the time I just wanted to be there. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to be around. I wanted to be around when the doctor came. I wanted to be around to see what was happening, what the reality of the situation was. And I couldn't. I couldn't be around as much as I wanted to, and I found that really difficult. Obviously, you support your mum who has mental health difficulties, so there are the good times and the less good times. How does that manifest itself in the work environment? There is just this feeling of trying to get everything done at once, which then becomes really hard because there will always be then the not good times where you've you've committed to loads of things, you've started off loads of projects. And I would say that, you know, I... I do a lot outside of my typical nine-to-five job as well. So it's across all of those things, which is, you know, everything gets done very frantically. I think of that GIF with the kind of, you know, the Kermit GIF, where he's like madly in his Typing keyboard. It, yeah. that, is, that is the mode that I go into. 
and the really difficult part of that is then I am setting myself up to fail because I've committed to all of these things and I know that the reality of the situation is that it's very likely I won't be able to follow all of them through. I think from a work perspective though that's really difficult because you're putting that on people that you work with. Supporting a mum I think creates a really interesting relationship dynamic. How have you felt that? It's been really hard but I think reflecting on it we are a lot closer so there has been some positives growing up we were we were close in the sense of you know I, I trust my mum above all other people um, and I've always respected her a huge amount but we didn't really know a lot about each other we you know we didn't we didn't share a lot about what's going on with me and I didn't know a lot about my mum before I sort of came along sort of doing that thing that I think children classically do which is you know I don't you didn't have a life before me. And actually, because we've spent so much time together, because there's been some awful conversations, which I think I will never forget, there is that sense of, like, we know each other a lot mm. better now. Because Also, when something like this happens, like, you can't, you can't really have secrets. You can't really exist with things being kept back when it comes down to being alive, mm. essentially. And so some of those times, the, the really kind of crisis points, there'd be things shared between us which were harrowing. Like, mm. I think, you know, if you've never had your parents say, if you've never heard, if that, if that relationship has never been tested and has been switched before, you're very lucky. Because that's one thing I, I found really hard, was just the fact that I... I had a mum, but she was like my friend. And at, and at worst times, she was like my, my child, <laughs> you mm. know? I really missed having a mum. Mm. In that, through, my, through those two years of my life, there were also some bad things that happened to me. There were situ situations I went through where I was like, I would really want to talk, about, talk to my mum about this, but I can't put this on her plate right now. Mm. And it was that battle of like, so do I be selfish? And do I ring my mum and cry down the phone? Or do I accept that that's not an option right now? And that's that was really, really hard. And so in that respect, I sort of missed her. Mm. Um, but on the flip side of that, it's, it's meant that when she's gone through times of good health, I have, I'm so incredibly grateful for that. And even a mundane conversation about dinner or tennis or many of the other fascinating things we talk about <laughs> is the be is like the best conversation because it's a conversation where we're just talking about normal things mm. and I think that it's just so it's so very hard to step away I think that's also what makes it difficult is that you have this person who's looked after you and then to think about them going through any sort of distress or pain is incredibly difficult so that I think that will always be hard for me, and I think there are conversations that I've had with my mum and things, things that I've seen and heard that I will never forget. Mm. And so that's probably one of the worst things. But if the benefit is that we are much closer, then... Kind of picking up on what you just said, caring can be incredibly difficult, and there can be some really dark spots. But it can also be hilarious and there yeah. can be some really great times over the last 
I say three years since um, your mum's been well. Could you just tell us a little bit, a, a really happy memory? Of, oh. It can be happy, it can be funny. I thought, I thought you were going to go for a time where you were like, can you tell us about the memory where it's actually really sad, but it's, you know... But the, funny the, as the well. The observatory was really funny. So, I mean, either of those. Yeah. Um, so I, I can probably give you a really quick one of both. Um, so I guess a really happy memory would be when my mum came out of hospital and actually she is doing really well. Um, but actually just spending... I took the day off work, we all went out for lunch... And that was, that was fantastic because, you know, lunches with families, again, people in their 20s and 30s, like eye rolls, like, oh, you know, have to go for lunch with a family. It was fantastic. She was totally on form. She was just mum and it was amazing. And that was a really, really happy memory. Um, and we talked a lot about what she, all the things she wanted to do and she was like, you know, we can do this in the summer. And that was the first kind of time that we'd really had a conversation about stuff coming up. And an expression of kind of interest and looking forward, which was, and it was spring, and it was all the, all those kinds of all those kinds of things. But I also think quite a funny story was when I remember when she was really ill, when she kind of just come out of hospital from the stroke, and we were having some building work done. One one thing to caveat is that my mum my mum takes a drug which thins her blood, so that if she gets a cut, she she bleeds and bleeds and bleeds and bleeds and bleeds. And it honestly, it looks like something from sore. Somebody was coming to fit our house and my mum had nicked herself while she was making dinner with a knife, a t- tiny, tiny cut, bleeding everywhere. The guy came down from the bathroom and he was like, what has happened? And because my mum was so unwell anyway, she was crying, she was hysterical. And this poor guy, he was fitting he was fitting a bath rail, actually. We needed a handle for my mum to be able to get in and out of the bath in, in the first few months that she was ill. And this poor guy was just, like, trying to speak to my mum, be like, where, where do you want this? And he must have just been like, what is this <laughs> chaos? And I just remember trying to communicate with him. I was like, do you want a cup of tea? Meanwhile, my mum's, like, sobbing in the corner, like, holding her Blood hand everywhere. up. That what that must have looked like to the outside, but reflecting on that with several glasses of wine, which I definitely did do, it I just was like, that must have been so funny and also terrifying for that yeah. man. He'd be like, I'm not going back. I don't care what they need, I'm not going back. You can imagine him going home that evening and be like, to his wife, you will never guess <laughs> yeah. what happened today. Yeah. So there are those moments of kind of, when you reflect, you're like, actually, that was, that was pretty <laughs> funny. So yeah. So thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. Thank you for having me. And sorry I didn't cry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my word. That sounds like a nightmare just at the end there. Yeah. Um, well, w- what a great interview. No, it was great. It was really nice having a really frank and honest conversation with a friend and, and really seeing parts of her and aspects of her life that I hadn't, hadn't been aware of. Well, and even at the beginning of that conversation there, Kate said... And this has come up in literally every conversation that we've had. She said, uh, the word carer really jars with me and I don't identify with it. Yeah, I thought it was really interesting. And I thought what was particularly interesting was why she said the word jarred with her. So for her, it was how it would be interpreted from her mum. And I hadn't really thought of that um, as before. I think it it, it really made me think, actually, there is something there about the word being slightly disempowering to, mm. to people where, you know, 
for your loved ones, you want them to be independent. You want them to be able to stand on their own two feet. And, and for a lot of people, knowing that they need, you know, a carer, it's like a kid doesn't want to know they've got stabilizing wheels. Yeah, or yeah. when the, the dad's running behind and holding onto the bike still, they're looking forward and they're thinking they're riding by themselves. So this is something that it would be great to have a bit of input from everybody on because it, it's come up as a massive theme. So we're going to put, uh, put a question on the Facebook group. How do you feel about the word carer? And uh, if there anybody, is there a better word that we could be using? I thought it was really interesting as well, the way Kate described feeling like she'd lost a parent mm-hmm. when uh, her mother got ill. And that's not to say that she was necessarily losing the particular individual, but that her mum had changed roles. So she didn't have somebody in, in the mothering role anymore. Mm-hmm. And that chimed with some of the things that you've described as well. Yeah, I think it's this sense of changing personas where there is a certain amount of expectation that you have from you know when you're when you break up with your boyfriend or girlfriend you call your parents you call your mum and you, you you get support from there and and often what you find is you suddenly don't feel necessarily able or willing to to make that call because of the implications and that that can have you don't want to add and complicate to completely yeah people. you do get this weird sense of loss even though you've, they're not gone anywhere, but there is this kind of lost expectation of what a mother is. Or um... Do you know what's really, I'm going to say, cute now? So whenever you're on the phone, I've not met your mum, but I know that she, you're on the phone to her because the, your voice goes up. You have a much higher pitch when you're talking to your mum. And I'm sure that, that is, that's because you still have some kind of mother-son relationship going on. Because I know I do that as well. Whenever my mum calls her. Up pitch, I've never, I mean, <laughs> news to me. Yeah. Now, I mean, next time I speak to her, I'm going to be like, Hi, Mum, how are you doing? <laughs> be really gruff. Somebody described to me the other day uh, how they missed the banality and mundane relationships of just being able to chat. Mm. So she found that whenever she went around to her parents' place, she was uh, constantly um, fixing stuff, checking the fridge, making sure everything was okay. So all of the time that she spent there was active. And they didn't actually have much time to just sit and chat and mm. have a giggle and do whatever they were used to do. And it's, you know, the happy memory that Kate talks about at the end. Yeah, that's a good example. Was just going for lunch and just sitting and talking about the future. I think there was something, you know, when she was telling the story, her face lit up and she just had this beautiful smile and she was just saying it was just, it was so normal, it was so ordinary, but it, it still stood out so much. I think that was... Um, really nice and then of course the bloody story um, <laughs> bloody literally um, <laughs> I was I was trying to think when you when I was listening to that whether the guy who goes around and fixes sort of mobility aids and so on, he, he must actually get used to some pretty loopy situations that, that you're walking into because you're so often in a in a state of kind of family crisis when when that's happening so he he, that may have just washed over him as a normal day at work. You know? Well, I mean, I think there are lots of films that have been made about <laughs> when plumbers go <laughs> over to houses, but that's a whole other pretty, pretty dark. A whole other podcast, I think. Kate described the the way she felt almost inadequate when talking to somebody who her, whose parent had died, and and almost like she she shouldn't be worried about what she was going through because someone else had it worse. And and I think you've mentioned. The sort of uh, the hierarchy of illness as well that, that mm. carers get with the people that they're 
Uh, it's, it, looking after. it's the worst game of like top trumps. Um, <laughs> but it, but it, you only you only play it from down to up, right? So the the person whose parent died would would totally never say, oh well, well that's nothing compared to what I'm going through. But then you do get those weird people who you talk to, and well, they'll be should like, they be your friends? Well, should they be your friends? You get those people who say, oh my mum's suicidal at the moment, and they'll be their first response is. You know, I got a really bad paper cut last week, <laughs> and you're like, okay, that's not the response I was expecting. But I'm sure. It, I mean, we all no one likes a paper cut, and and I think there is something. Often people feel like they have to say something in response, and often what people want is, God, that sounds like it must be difficult. Like, and, it's and actually, okay. the the response that you're describing there is probably something to do with saying, trying to say, uh, I know what you're going through, yeah, and then scrabbling around to try and find an equivalent example. But I, I just think there, there is something we need to be better at, at just going, wow, that sounds really difficult. How can I help? How can I, mm. without trying to turn the conversation back, and I think it is a weird um, dynamic, how can I help? And then leaving it like that, I think there's something really powerful in there. Speaking of leaving it like that, uh, that's probably all we've got time for. What's the key thing everything, everybody needs to do? Please go on Facebook and go, uh, Facebook search Who Cares Wins. Find our, find our Facebook group, join... And answer our question, what's a better word than carer? Sounds great. See you next time, guys. Thank you. Thanks.